Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Wonderful to have her. Elizabeth was not the first, but probably one of the first 10 or 15 or so folks that I baptized uh, after we came to Canada, and the most unusual invitation I've ever seen in my life is she walked up to me and said, Pastor, I got baptized in the Five Banana Church, and I look like a crazy man. Like, what in the world are you talking about? I forgot that I made an illustration about the Five Banana Church during the service, but uh, it's good to see you here tonight. Sure appreciate it, Elizabeth. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. By the way, the baptistry in her church in Airdrie is the same one she got baptized in. That was back in like 1937, 1947. I can't remember how many years it's been, 
But uh, no, that's awesome. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 37. When John walked in, I thought he was a mugger, had a big coat he had on. I was worried about him. Then I remembered he's from the Philippines, so he's freezing to death. John, Acts chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 23 through 37 tonight. Starting in verse 23, if you'd follow along with me, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all to the chief priests and elders that said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. We talked about this last week. They prayed, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heavens heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal. And the signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he had possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made, and every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray together. Lord, as we ponder this passage yet again this evening, oh Lord, as we look at this aspect of them being filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you help us to understand scripturally and doctrinally? Lord, help us to desire your presence afresh and anew in our life and our heart. Lord, may we not simply rush past scripture and, and miss doctrine. Lord, doctrine matters. It's important. Lord, I pray that we would see it tonight. And Lord, I believe it will be a great encouragement. Lord, as well, a great challenge to us this evening. Lord, I pray you'd help me. Lord, to be able to preach or write your truth, Lord, give me the ability to do so tonight. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity we have, the freedom we enjoy. Lord, bless us. Lord, would you meet the needs of every heart. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I want to make a couple of statements as we begin. The title of the, the Bible study tonight is Filled Afresh. Filled Afresh with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, bear with me just a bit and allow me to get there till we understand what page we're on. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is essential for every Christian. If we consider verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled 
with the Holy Ghost, and they speak the word of God with boldness. The operative word in the title tonight of the Bible study is afresh, afresh. For it's evident in Scripture, if we look back from Acts 4.31, if we go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, we will find out that some that were here in Acts chapter 4 were also present in Acts chapter 2. Now, what happened in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, let's turn back there quickly. I want you to see this. I want us to get the timeline and understand uh, the differentiation here. Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We are not seeing here in Acts chapter 4 those who did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit being first given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We know now, looking scripturally, that the moment from, from Acts chapter 2, verse 4, forward in history, the very moment that someone believed the gospel, received Christ, they immediately are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we use some phraseology sometimes that leads to bad doctrine. And we use a phrase like asking Jesus into your heart. Now, I'm not mad at people that use that phraseology, but can I tell you that Jesus doesn't come into your heart? We don't ask him into our heart. But the Holy Spirit rather does take up residence in us and indwells us the moment we believe the gospel. Uh, just as the Philippian jailer was told that he was to believe. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch said, what doth hinder me to be, to be baptized if thou believest with all that heart? When that man believed, can I tell you that the Holy Spirit came to indwell him? So we realize here that Acts chapter 4 is not a redo. It's not a, oh, we kind of messed up, let's try again. It's not a, oh, we didn't get everybody filled, let's fill them again. Rather, it's a matter of them being filled afresh. It is not a indwelling, but a filling. And there is a difference we're going to look at tonight. The prayer that is often prayed by many Christians for a couple millennia, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, I believe is a very valid, uh, very valid prayer. As we see that happening here in the book of Acts, uh, understand as we look here, uh, we see this filling. Look in verse 23 of our text. Verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So we see here the group of people that we're looking at in Acts chapter 4 was them, this them, this group, all the believers. Now, as I mentioned last night, this group of them was a large group. It, it was, there were thousands saved. Uh, Hannah, turn off these microphones. Uh, there were thousands saved on Pentecost. Uh, the church in Jerusalem had grown exponentially. Uh, there was a large amount of believers. Now, we don't know how many, but there was, I believe, a large group, them, and they had an extraordinary prayer meeting. Can I tell you how we know it was an extraordinary prayer meeting? Because the Bible says at the end of their prayer meeting here in Acts chapter 4, 
they were all filled with the Holy Ghost in verse 31. So they knew of the, the, this time. It was a very specific time and a place where they were filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, this is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is not the promise of the Father coming. That came in Acts 2. That, that's already happened. All the believers gathered there had the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Either that or Jesus lied. Uh, so we understand that was the case. They were already indwelled by the Spirit. Rather, we see them filled afresh. And it was a definite experience. It was a substantial, uh, substantial experience. Uh, and we see, look at Acts chapter 9. Let's skip over there quickly. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. It says, and Ananias, and we're going to get here in a few weeks, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on them said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Saul, the man who terrorized Christians, Saul, the man who was murdering Christians, Saul, the man who stood as the clothes of Stephen, the clothes of those that killed Stephen was laid at his feet as the testimony. Saul was born again and filled by the Spirit of God. So we see a few different things here tonight. I want us to, uh, to understand uh, kind of what's going on, but I want us to look back in, uh, let's start in verse 31. And I believe in verse 31 we're going to see... Uh, some, some thoughts here that's going to help us. And when they had prayed, notice that prayer was involved. The place was shaken when they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So I want to ask three questions tonight. As we think about this passage, as we look at verse 31 and verse 32, number one, what is the filling with the Holy Spirit? What is it? I mean, that's a very important question if we're going to look and understand doctrine here. Uh, as I mentioned before, as I went into already, we kind of got ahead of ourselves a little bit. It was a definite experience. It was a definite thing that we see happening here in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Peter and John have been released from prison. They, with all the believers in Jerusalem, they prayed and God filled them with his spirit. Uh, not only that, number two, it is more than his indwelling and baptism. Now, I touched on this already, but I want us to think about it. Uh, when we think about this matter of what is this filling with the Holy Spirit, it's more than his indwelling. That's already happened. That, that happened in Acts chapter 2. That happened for every one of these believers that were in that prayer meeting the moment they believed. For some of them, it was the day they heard Peter preach. For some of them, it was the day they saw Peter and John performing the miracle and they believed. But it happened for all of them. That had already happened. Uh, he had already indwelled them. Uh, they'd been, already been part of that uh, according to the Lord's promise. By the way, we could turn back to John 14. 
And we won't for sake of time tonight, but in John 14, we'd see those promises. By the way, the promises that were fulfilled in Scripture already. Uh, we'd see Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 as well. Uh, they had been baptized by the Holy Spirit and brought into union with Christ. I want you to hold your place and turn to Romans chapter 6. Acts, the next, next book is Romans, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. As we're thinking of doctrine here, as we're thinking about the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 4 of Romans 6, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Uh, we could look in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Ephesians 4, verse 5. Uh, we see the picture of being baptized by the Spirit. Obviously, we see water baptism in Scripture, a picture of what happened internally when we got saved. Uh, but the cult and I believe today just put out posts on our social media encouraging folks about the matter of baptism, water baptism. Uh, it's, an, it's an important picture of what happened inside, but can I tell you that every believer is not only indwelt by the Spirit of God when they believe, but they are baptized into Christ by God's Spirit. We're not talking water baptism. Uh, we're talking the Holy Spirit's work in a believer. Uh, so the filling of the Holy Spirit is more than the indwelling, more than his baptism. Number three, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? It is for all believers. So, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, if we look back in our text, it tells us there, all those that were gathered together, and it says they were all. Now, that means the, the new Christians that had just believed. That means those that have followed Christ for a long time. Uh, that means Peter, who had followed Christ and turned away from following Christ and followed Christ again, he had some background of some failures. All. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the indwelling of the Spirit, not the same as the baptism of the Spirit. It is also for all believers. We see the word they in verse 31, Peter and John and all the members of this early church in Jerusalem uh, were infilled, and we see here in this passage they were uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, the, Bi the Bible word here. Uh, no Christian, no Christian can live fully to the potential God wants for them and serve God effectively without God's filling of his Spirit. Number four, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? It is more than a once-for-all experience. How many of you know that probably, you might guess this already, that if I fill this coffee cup in the morning, that there's probably going to come a time when I'm going to fill it again? How many of you probably guess that's probably the case? I told my wife this when we got to church tonight, We've been gone all day, right on the reserve and back. And on the way here, I said I had only one cup of coffee today. Brother Maud, I'm not sure how I survived. I said, I can't wait to get to church so I can get some more coffee. I said, I'm, I'm barely making it. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't just have, okay, one cup. No, I might refill that again. Can I tell you this matter of the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just a once and for all. Not, okay, you're filled, you're good. 
It's all good because the problem is not us having the Holy Spirit. The problem is the Holy Spirit having us. The problem is our flesh not pushing out his filling. The problem is us grieving the Holy Spirit. It's that process. It's not just a once for all. Uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 31 makes that very clear. Very plain. Uh, we can never lose. And Christian, don't miss this part. And, I, and this is where I, so many folks deviate away from truth. And this is where doctrine gets muddled and messed up. I can never lose, ever, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ever. There's never a time when the Holy Spirit says, man, I'm getting out of here. I'm not living here anymore. I'm leaving this place. Never. The Holy Spirit is my seal of salvation. He indwells me. God said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. There is no, okay, I I had the Holy Spirit living in me and now he's not here. That's not possible doctrinally. To try to get doctrinally there, I have to twist Scripture and corrupt Scripture. Scripture doesn't ever mesh up with that teaching. So the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell me, the moment I believe, it's not a, you know, I get saved and then eventually I get the Holy Spirit. No, the moment I believe, he indwells me. But I always desire the presence and the fullness of God's Spirit. And we see that in chapter 4 and verse 31. The Holy Spirit's come to live with us forever. John chapter 14 teaches us that. But we can grieve him. If Colton, Monday morning, came in the office and his pastor, I brought you a sandwich. And he handed me a tomato sandwich. I'd punch him right now. I wouldn't punch him. He's bigger than me. I'm afraid of him. I, I'd be grieved. Now, the other day he came in and he, someone gave him some cookies. And he said, here, you want a cookie? That didn't grieve me. I was happy about that, David. Uh, but if he just said, here's a tomato sandwich, I would have been grieved by that. Can I say that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit never leaves us. I can also quench the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit wants to work, I can try to put out that fire. Uh, We need a fresh, a fresh filling. Number five, what is the filling with the Holy Spirit? Number five, it may be received by faith alone, apart from feelings. Another divergent point of doctrine. There are many who believe that the filling of the Holy Spirit may be received, but they believe that it must be through feelings. The verse suggests the opposite. We read the place where they were meeting was shaken on that occasion, but don't be misled. The place shaking had nothing to do with them being filled with the Spirit. They didn't have to have the place shake to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is sovereign in His work. The essential thing is that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, as the Bible tells us in verse 31. And the same way we should all be filled, Ephesians chapter 5 And verse 18, the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit, uh, not uh, with the spirits, 
Uh, look, if you will, at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So we are to ask for the will of God. We know the will of God is for us to be filled with the Spirit. And we see that picture here. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with, oh, I, I just, I feel filled. No, rather it's the work of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we looked quickly at that thought, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? But I mentioned uh, one of the three questions I wanted to look at. Number two tonight, how does the filling of the Holy Spirit show itself? How does the filling? We're not talking about the indwelling. That happens the moment we're saved. How does the filling of the Holy Spirit show itself? What are the results? What's the evidence? What's the manifestation? How is it seen? Whether the building is shaken or whether we are moved with deep emotion is unimportant. What is important is the evidence of what we see here. What is important is what follows. So the question, how does the filling of the Holy Spirit show itself? Number one, there was boldness to speak the word of God. Look at verse 31 again. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken when they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Notice they did not speak uh, random words. They spoke the word of God. They did not speak their feelings. They spoke the word of God. They did not laugh. They spoke the word of God. Now say, Pastor, why are you saying those, th those things? Because there are many today that believe the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is those things. Speaking in an unknown tongue. Laughing. Falling down. We don't see that in Scripture here. Rather, we see they spoke the word with boldness. Now, we find it problematic. You know why? Because we're timid and fearful. Colton, Colton shared tonight when someone first asked him to go out soul winning. He didn't say, oh, I can't wait. Man, that's awesome. I can't wait to go talk to somebody I don't know and tell them about Jesus. Now, he may have been excited to share Jesus with somebody, but he probably wasn't excited to have a conversation with somebody he didn't know. Most of us are pretty timid. Most of us, we, we don't want to have a conversation. We, how many of you have ever thought about having a conversation with someone about the gospel? Like, ah, man, can I? I hope I want to. But you're, a few weeks ago, I was in a coffee shop. I say, I say a, co a coffee shop. I was in the coffee shop. Uh, but I was in the coffee shop the other day at Rogue Wave and had a couple beside of me. And anytime I go somewhere and by myself, I always say, man, I want to try to sit near somebody, try to talk to somebody about the gospel. And I sat down and I thought, man, I, how am I going to break in the conversation? I, I was going to talk, talk to them somehow. Before I could even break the conversation, they looked at me and started asking me questions. I thought, praise the Lord. Uh, the day opened the door. I didn't have to. By the way, the husband called me. Uh, just a couple of days. They're born again, folks. Sweet, sweet couple. But I talked to the husband just uh, 
I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday last week. But we're timid. We're, we're shy. We don't really, we don't like to step out of our comfort zone. So this boldness here to speak for Christ, to speak the word of God, not boldness to speak what I want to talk about. You know, you find somebody that loves something, they want to talk about it. And I, I think uh, uh, Bond, Bond's favorite thing in the world is My Little Pony. Is that it? So, man, he'll talk. No, it's definitely not My Little Pony. Uh, but you find something Bond enjoys, which I know what he enjoys more than anything in all the world, because I'm his pastor. He enjoys eating more than anything in all the world. So you want to talk to Bond about food, he'll talk to you all day about it, as long as you're feeding him. But talk to him about something he's not interested in, eh, not so much. Christian, we see that there was a boldness to speak the gospel, a boldness to speak the word of God that went against their fearfulness, that went against their timidity. Uh, They have authority and power and ability to speak the word of God. Number two, the filling of the Holy Spirit showed itself. Number one, there was a boldness to speak the word of God. Number two, there was a unity of heart and purpose. One of the one of the results or the outshowing of the filling of the Spirit is this matter of unity. Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17. By the way, he was praying for you. He was praying for me. In John 17, he said that all of them may be one. Jesus prayed that for you. He prayed that all of his followers would be one. Now, that's impossible outside the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible outside of the work of the Holy Ghost. And the filling of the Spirit here, we see, came about unity of purpose. Uh, they were all different. There was, we know that on Pentecost, there were people saved from all these different backgrounds, different languages, different tongues, and yet... They came together. And that, that's a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what God's filling of his spirit on his people showed forth. It was the word of God going forth powerfully. It was unity of heart and purpose here. An amazing miracle. And I love this. Look in verse 32. There was a recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ. A recognition, number three, of the lordship of Christ. And the multitude of them that were believed were one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had all things common. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they no longer regarded their property as their own. Rather, we see here that they said, Everything I have belongs to the Lord. He owns all things. The Lord's sovereign. They saw the Lordship of Christ. It wasn't about lifting themselves up. By the way, if you look at false doctrine today regarding the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit in pseudo-Christianity today, you find people talking about themselves about what they can do, about what they have done, about all the things that they do. It's all focused on them. 
And can I tell you the result of true filling of the Holy Spirit is a focus on Christ. It's a focus on his authority, a focus on what he's done, a focus on him owning me, lock, stock, and barrel. I belong to him. I'm owned by him. And we see that picture. Number four, not only was there a recognition of the lordship of Christ, but number four, there was a true Christian fellowship and generosity. A fellowship. Brother Dan preached the funeral today on the reserve for Miss Lorna, did a phenomenal job, spoke, spoke last night as well for a, a viewing at seven. But as he began, he talked about his sister, Lorna. Brother Dan has known Miss Lorna for about 25 years. And he made the joke, he said, We're, she's my sister. And he said, we may have come from different bloodlines, as you may be able to tell, uh, but she was my sister. Can I tell you how that kind of fellowship, how that kind of unity comes about? Only by the Holy Spirit of God. Only by the filling of his spirit. And we see that picture here, that picture of genuine fellowship, genuine generosity and giving. Uh, they provided for the needs, verse 30 through 34 through 37. And then number five, another showing, another thing that showed forth from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number five, there was beauty. There was beauty in their lives and in their character. Look at verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mentioned this verse last week. The last part of verse 33, in great grace was upon them all. Great grace. Great grace. That came about because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number three, and the last question tonight I want us to think about as we look at this passage. And that question is how, how does the filling of God's Holy Spirit come? How did it come about? Was it just... Oh, it just happened. When I was in grade, was that grade, grade 11, our school, our Christian school, we had a very strong basketball program. You can probably look at me and tell that I'm not a basketball player, Brother Bonnie. Uh, I almost got kicked out of gym class for my basketball playing abilities because I made a few people go unconscious playing basketball. You're not supposed to do that in basketball. I didn't know that. And we had a very strong uh, soccer program, men's soccer. And I, I like soccer, but I'm not a great soccer player. And I think we had girls volleyball as well. And, but our school decided that we were going to get involved for the very first time in track and field. Now, our Christian school had never had a track team, track and field team. It was something that was going to be Maybe we'll try this. And so they said, okay, we want some people to volunteer for track and field. And two of us showed up. I did not show up to run. Brother Krim, I did not sign up for running. If you ever see me running, you should also run. There's something chasing me. I, I showed up. I, was, I wanted to throw the discus and put the shot. And then my dear friend Jason Chang 
uh, I got to share a funny story about Jason. Jason, uh, Chinese fella, uh, his parents were doctors in our in our in our ten in our town. And uh, my grandmother, before she went to heaven, she was very sick. And his mom, Mrs. Chang, uh, came in to see my grandmother at her home for a home visit. And she walked in, and Mrs. Chang saw the picture of me. And she said, oh, Brian, he too fat. Uh, so praise God for Mrs. Chang. I love you. But uh, Mrs. Chang, and, or not Mr. Chang, Jason and I, we were the track and field team. And we went to exactly one track meet. We had to go to one to allow us the next year to have And they had a pretty good program the next year, but we were the trailblazers. And Jason went. He, he entered, I think it was three two or three competitions, and, and I entered two. I entered the discus and the shot put, and he entered two. It was a, a sprinting race and a mile race, and I entered the discus and shot put, and he pulled a hamstring on the first race, and the coach came to me and said, Brian, I hate to ask you to do this, but I need you to run a mile. And I said, you don't hate it nearly as bad as I hate it, coach. And I did. I ran a mile. I, I'm not going to tell you how long it took me. All the fans were gone. Uh, it was three days later when I crossed the finish line. But I did enter the race. I did finish the race, uh, which allowed us to go on the next year to compete in the Christian school program of track and field. But after that was done, you know, Jason's hamstring was killing him. He hurt himself. I almost thought I was going to die because I ran a mile. That's not good for me. Uh, I had thrown the shot put in the discus. I ran a mile. And Coach Burleson, God bless Coach Burleson, he looked at us and said, guys, I'm going to take you to Ponderosa. I almost hugged him. And we went. It wasn't too far of a drive to a Ponderosa, and I'm not sure. If you've been in the States, maybe you've been. Ponderosa is kind of a, a low-class steakhouse that also has a really nice salad, buffet salad bar that goes with it. And I was all about the buffet portion. And Jason and I, we got our food, and, and we're joking about this whole day. And we look, and as we're there, I'll never forget it, there was a little kid went over to the ice cream dispenser. And he broke the ice cream dispenser. Now, I don't think it was his fault. I think it was a faulty dispenser. But the handle broke off. It was chocolate ice cream, I remember that. And the ice cream was just coming out of the chocolate ice cream machine, like just as fast as it could come out. And I looked at Jason, and I said, man, come with me. We went, we got dishes, because I knew what was going to happen. It was all going to come out, and there was going to be no ice cream. So we ran over, we got, I ran again the second time I'd ran that year, and I got my bowl and all I did, I didn't pull the lever. There was no lever. I just stuck my bowl underneath the ice cream. And then I had to pull it out when I wanted to finish because it wouldn't stop. And then Jason put his ice cream under. And it's all Jason's fault that his mom thinks I'm fat because I ate all the ice cream that day. But we got our ice cream. Now, to get ice cream, all we had to do was to put our bowl in the right place. That was it. We didn't do anything other than receive it where it was coming out. So the question is, in Scripture, scripturally, doctrinally, how does the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, come, or where does it come from? What are, if you will, the question, the conditions? Turn to Psalm 51 with me. 
Psalm 51 and verse 10. Just a couple of thoughts before we get to just two points I want to share as we close. Psalm 51.10, David's prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We could mention the need of cleansing, and I believe we have that need. I believe we see that need doctrinally in the Word of God. We could mention the need of desire. Look, if you will, at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. In that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If a man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He wants us to desire his presence. He wants us to desire and be thirsty for his filling. And we can speak about faith, and I want you to look with me quickly at Luke 11. Just as a couple of precursors before we get to just two points we see in this passage in Acts. Luke 11 and verse 13. If ye then, being evil, Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And we're to ask for that filling. We see that picture in Scripture. Now I want you to turn back to our text in Acts chapter four, and I want us to see just two two things in regards to this filling. This infilling, uh, not indwelling, but infilling this afresh of the Holy Spirit of God. Number one, we see here in the book of Acts that these believers that were filled with the Spirit, number one, were moving along in the will of God. They're moving along in the will of God. They didn't say, okay, God, I know what your will is. That's your will. I'm going to stay right here. And, uh, you know, fill me. But God said, no, I'm not going to do that. You fill me. Rather, we see these believers were moving along in the will of God. And we see that in verse 29 of Acts 4. And now, Lord, behold, their threatenings and granted of thy servants. Notice they were serving. That with all boldness they may speak thy word. Verse 31. Then we see when they had prayed. They were praying. They were speaking the word of God. They had boldness. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. The Lord had commanded them to preach the gospel. Jesus had told them, we look in the gospels, we see the great commission, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. I mean, we're talking about that command was given not many weeks ago. That was the command of God. What are they doing? What God told them to do. They're moving along in the will of God. Christian, if we would do what we know to do, if we would get busy doing what we already know to do, it's amazing what could happen in our Christian growth. We know to do it. I went to my boss one time when I worked in sales. John works in sales. I, was, I once wasn't a Christian either, but no, I, back when I worked in sales, I went to my boss, and I said his name was Jesse. And I said, Jesse, I said, 
man, I want to I wanna be a better salesman. I said, do you have any magic? You, know, you got any, like, you know, special closes? You worked in sales, you know what I'm talking about. You got any, any ways you can kind of guarantee me to get a little higher percentage? And he looked at me and said, yeah. He said, close the door. I thought, oh, man, this is awesome. He's going to give me the magic sauce. And I closed the door, and I, he said, come here, I'll tell you. I leaned in real close. He said, if you want to make more sales. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. How do I do it? What do I do? Talk to more people. And he looked at me, and he said, Brian, he said, everybody knows that, but nobody wants to do it. He said, we want a shortcut. We want the magic sauce. Uh, we want the special clothes. He said, but the key is just make more appointments, talk to more people, take more no's. That's the way you get more yeses. Every salesman knows that. That's how you just have to keep going along. In the Christian life, we know what to do. We know some of the will of God, but we get bored in it. Oh, Lord, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want, I want something special. But we see here these believers, they were moving along in the will of God. And number two, verse 31, and this is vital. They were seeking the Lord in earnest in intercessory prayer. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed... By the way, Christian, I don't think this was a, okay, Lord, uh, you told me to pray, so uh, this is me uh, praying, uh, amen. Sometimes we pray that way. Sometimes that's our prayer life. I, I don't think it was going through the motions type of prayer. I believe they prayed earnestly. They were in intercessory prayer. They prayed, and when they prayed, when they prayed. So Christian, how does the feeling of the Holy Spirit come? How do I get under that place where God's filling of a spirit comes upon me like that ice cream in my bowl? Number one, I need to stay busy. I need to stay busy in what I know to do. I need to obey the will of God. The will of God for my life. I don't... I don't need to look. I wonder what the will of God for his life or her. No. What's God's will for me? I need to just get busy in the will of God. Number two, I need to realize the importance of praying, of asking. Lord, fill me with your power. Lord, I need your filling. I believe for every area of service of God that God has a special filling. I believe God has a special filling for every servant of God. I believe God, for every work of God, God has a special filling for them. I, I prayed my prayer the last couple of days. I've been praying for Brother Dan. And not only have I been praying for him, I've reached out to many dear pastor friends, and I've said to them, hey, today I talked to 10 different pastors, and I said, hey, I want you to pray for Dan Crumball. I said, pray that God would use him today. I pray that God would, would empower him to speak and share Christ. He told me, this afternoon, I talked to him about, I guess it was about 5.30 or 6.30, uh, that last night about 70 people uh, out at the, uh, at the golf course where they had the wake. He said 70 people listened very intently as he shared the gospel. My prayer was, God, would you, would you 
speak through him. God, would you empower him to speak powerfully? I believe that we all need that in filling of the purpose that God has for all of us. And we see here this, these disciples, these believers, they were filled, not, not indwelled for the first time, but filled again. And filled with the power to do what God wanted them to do. Something that all of us need to serve him to the level that God wants us to. And we see here that it's just a matter of do the will of God. Pray. Just those two things. Oh, that's boring. That's not exciting. That's where the ice cream's coming out. Uh, that's where the Holy Spirit fills us. Doing the will of God. Praying. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you.